E-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Monday, folks. Is it a happy Monday? Because I know you're starting your day an hour later, but I mean, you lost an hour of of your day yesterday at the end. I know it was like four o'clock and I was like, it's already getting to be nighttime. What is happening? Okay, so go back and listen to my episode with Joe Hartman. He's running for uh, Congress up in Michigan uh, and he's actually leading the charge uh, as, as a candidate against Daylight Savings Time. Go listen to that episode. It's a great episode because Daylight Savings Time, I, I hate it. I and I know um, I know a lot of other people do too. So please, if, if you hate Daylight Savings Time, please go support candidates like Joe Hartman, Libertarian up in Michigan, or, or as you're joining us here on the Brian Nichols Show today, you can listen and support candidates like Libertarian Brian Slowinski, who's running for U.S. Senate down in the great state of Georgia. Now, I do ask for clarification. Brian, are you running against our friend Shane Hazel, who is also running for Senate down in Georgia? And he said, no, 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 no. There's two separate elections. We have two Libertarians now running for U.S. Senate down in Georgia. So it's a great opportunity here Right here, as we we're at the uh, the end of the road, it's election day tomorrow. Oh wow! Good luck, folks. <laughs> With that being said, onto the show. Brian Slavinsky here on the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely, thank you for joining us, sir. Uh, so, Brian, you are running for U.S. Senate in the great state of Georgia. And I know a lot of folks here in the Brian Nichols Show are going to say, "Now wait a minute." Brian just had a guy run for U.S. Senate out in Georgia named Shane Hazel. How, how the heck is this happening? But you're running in a separate election to that of, of Shane Hazel. So let's kind of set the stage here. You're running for U.S. Senate out in Georgia as a libertarian. What's uh, what's this special election? What, where did it come from? And uh, what got you to uh, want to run for office as a libertarian? Well, the special election is actually because of uh, United States Senator Johnny Isaacson uh, fell ill and uh, he resigned. So he, uh, his, uh, um, the governor of, of Georgia, Brian Kemp, appointed uh, someone to temporarily fill his seat until it could come up again. So he appointed uh, Kelly Leffler as the appointed senator, and then uh, uh, the election is up 
obviously it's a special election like that. That'll be for two years. And then the, the six year election will happen in uh, 2022. And what was your kind of background in politics? Obviously you, you're running now for office as a libertarian, but obviously this is not your first go into, into politics now. Oh, I've been, I've been involved in politics since I was nine years old, 1970. Uh, I, uh, I actually grew up in, in Minnesota. Uh, I grew up as a John F. Kennedy, uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, cons- uh, fiscally conservative, pro-life Democrat, Catholic. You know, my, my, whole, my, my whole goal was when I was growing up, I wanted to be an astronaut. And then I found that I couldn't be because I had bad eyes. So they said, you know, sorry, you can't do that. So my next, my next goal was to be president. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> so now your pursuit for elected office. Now, I know you ran as a Republican, right? Back in, in 2014. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I ran for Congress in uh, 2014, found out more about the uh, uh, the inner workings. And if you're not a yes man, that, that nobody will support you because they don't they don't give you any time, any effort or any any kind of media or anything like that. And that's just wrong. Yeah. You know, they don't want they want people that are any either one of the two major parties. If you're not a yes man, they don't want you because they have no control over you. No, for sure. They want that control. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I know when Shane Hazel was on the show. And and this is something we discussed where there is an appeal, I would say, from some folks in the Liberty, the Liberty camp. And I I would dare say I, I empathize with the argument saying. Well, listen, are we actually ever going to get some real, you know, substantive uh, promoting libertarian policies running as this big L libertarian? And if not, well, why not just, you know, say, well, heck with it. Let's join these these big two parties. And to your point, though, it has been so built within these these two parties to push away the outsiders that when you do have folks like a Thomas Massey or a Rand Paul, they're kind of the exception to the rule. No. Oh, exactly. And and that's that's pretty much how I would vote. I'd be up there with that 90 percent where they vote on the Constitution as well. Uh, just to, just to inform your voters as, or your, your viewers as well. I've actually been cross endorsed by the Constitution Party as well. I've been uh, recommended by them as well. I recently just received the endorsement of Georgia Right to Life as well. Oh wow! So right there, you're so you're talking about some issues. I know I know my audience is very diverse. I have folks from the right, the left, the center, all those in between. Um, and with that, it seems that there is a a running issue. I want to say it's an issue. It's just this libertarians. It's like herding cats, right? So when you're talking about libertarian beliefs and in philosophy and ideology, you're gonna get you know if you ask a hundred different people, you're gonna get a hundred different answers as to what it means to be a libertarian. Now I approach libertarianism as don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. The very easy to digest Matt Kibbe approach, which when we're talking about selling liberty like we do here in the Brian Nichols show, that's the approach we want to take. Easy to understand, and you can take a very complex message and break it down. But with that, there are so many different nuances. And you mentioned um, you know, the Right to Life uh, party in, in Georgia. Pro-life versus pro-choice. I mean, that's one of the, the bigger arguments we see within the libertarian movement by and large. And I would say that also is indicative of just how the nation looks at the, the abortion argument. You know, is it is it the right of the, the mother or is it the right of the child? So, Brian, I'm, I'm assuming based on the fact that you were endorsed by the Right to Life Party or pro-life, but let's kind of go into that view. What led you to take a libertarian approach um, at, at being that of pro-life when approaching this a very sensitive issue? Well, again, do no harm. Uh, it comes down to do no harm. And the question is that then, well, uh, the baby or the, the life that's inside the mother, when does it actually become a life? When does it become a separate um, a separate being? I would think that happens at conception. It's a totally, totally separate DNA. 
versus the mother. The uh, you know the mother supports the baby, but quite obviously it's a totally different human being. Now, if you take it from from a medical perspective, let's say you have to do some surgery on the on the preborn. Okay, well, when does when does the preborn have rights then? You know, I mean, if you're taking vitamins and and doing uh, prenatal type stuff to uh, you know protect the protect the preborn. When does that preborn have rights? Again, it's do no harm. Well, then don't do no harm to, to preborns. I'm someone who was adopted myself, so you know, and I also have eight adopted children. So quite honestly, quite honestly, I've been there from all over the world. So quite honestly, uh, I think that's a better option. Well, there's a, yeah. a common misconception, I think, when you do have this conversation, and let's look at the national uh, stage, right? Um, I, I hate that every single position that seems to be uh, promoted uh, by the opposing side is almost always a characterization of the opposing argument. So, for example, I hear a lot of folks in the pro-choice camp, and they'll say, okay, yeah, well, where are you when it comes to adoption? And it's like, well, no, no, hold on. We're right here. And to your point, Brian, you're leading the charge because you're actually you know, putting your, your, your practicing this idea of adopting children where your, your, your principles are, right? You're putting that into, into action and you're, you're actually being the, the change that we want to see in the world. And I think you're going to come to find that there's a lot of people, especially your, your average American, who they're very sympathetic to the argument of, of adopting children. And I think when you approach the argument of abortion, or not even an argument, just that the discussion towards abortion, it does get so sensationalized and so difficult to discuss because, yes, there are a lot of emotions and a lot of, of personal choices that are, are built into this ultimate, you know, very di- hard decision that a lot of women end up taking. And I think, to your point, is instead of talking about, like, well, no, you're a bad person for, for wanting to, to go through an abortion, is to instead raise up those alternatives. Talking about, you know, practicing safe sex methods, talking about over-the-counter contraception methods, talking about a Adoption as a means of, of, you know, not aborting these children, but giving them a chance to have a different future. So, I mean, with that being said, I would say, Brian, one of the, the things that I've been trying to do on my show has been to talk to people where they're at and to talk about the issues that mean the most to them. And the reason being is because I find that in sales, if you're just talking to people about what you think they want to hear, they're going to just, you know, put on the blinders and you're just white noise at that point. So, in your district, uh, in my, your district, I mean your state of Georgia, <laughs> uh, what is kind of your experience so far? Obviously, talking to people, your average voter, what's on their minds? What is the main thing that is driving them to the voter box uh, back or the ballot box? That is uh, November third. Uh, I think right now the number number one issue is the economy and jobs. People are wondering about uh, where their money is going to come from because obviously uh, that's that's cut back quite a bit, and then obviously healthcare and the corona the coronavirus. Um, I'm kind of unique. My wife's a physician, so um, she's actually uh, an intensive care uh, doctor, so she works with COVID patients. In fact, she was just recently deployed. Uh, she's a colonel in the Army Reserve, and she and she runs a medical brigade, and she was uh, deployed up to New York from, for March, April, May, and June up there uh, helping with COVID patients and, and setting up a hospital facilities up there. So my family is uh, dur- dur- directly affected by the COVID very much so because, uh, you know, we, we try to stay within, within COVID standards and demand that of others as well. And that's been, and that's been a, a big thing here in, in the race here is I've actually um, um, confronted the Kelly Leffler about that because she was actually at that super spreader event at the, at the White House. Okay. 
sitting next to uh, one of the persons that had, uh, you know, uh, Mike Lee Center. Mike Lee got it. She was sitting right behind him. They were shoulder to shoulder. Then she went inside without a mask as well. And her excuse is, well, I just got tested yesterday, twice yesterday. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is you can be, you can be negative one day. The next day, you're going to be positive. If you've been exposed to it, you you, you just need to uh, basically you need to self quarantine yourself for 14 days so you don't expose anybody. By any, don't, no, there's no chance to, to expose anybody. Well, you know the elites think they're better than that. Okay, they're actually they actually uh, you know well well we we took the rap the you know the rapid rapid test. Well, here's the problem with the rapid test too. They're only they're only right 70 percent of the time, so they could be wrong as well, and that's only good for that moment. And on top of that. By, take, by doing all this, instead of instead of just wearing masks when they're at, a, at an event like that, they're, they're using all the rapid tests up, and then they're not not able to have them on the front lines for the workers like my wife, who, who need them because they're actually working with actual COVID patients. And that's just wrong. That's, uh, that's again, that's, uh, that's government and the government elites that, that, are, that are out of touch. So what would have been the appropriate response um, from a libertarian perspective? If I ask that, because, you know, starting in March, I've had, uh, as we were leading to the libertarian presidential nomination process there for the convention, I had pretty much, I would say, all the leading contenders uh, on the show. And one of the main topics was always, what are we going to do? What's the response? And I've had, I had Lincoln Chafee on the show. Um, I had Joe Jorgensen on the show. Jacob Hornberger, you go down the list. And Everybody had a different perspective, it seems, as to how a libertarian would have approached the the lockdowns. But I do see one of the reoccurring themes, and I actually just talked about this with um, with Glenn Jacobs, uh, Mayor Glenn Jacobs from Knox County, and that was yeah. this local approach, going more towards a federalist mentality and saying, instead of having this national, one-size-fits-all approach, say, hey, listen, states... You and your respective, you know, counties and municipalities, you probably know best how to handle a COVID-19 pandemic based on your populace and how they'll react. So how about this? We're going to tell you what we need, or not what you need to know, but rather what we do know, but it did end up being what you need to know or what we were told to know. Um, And then you can make decisions that you think is best based on those recommendations. Now, personally... I don't know if I would have done much different from a national perspective, more so just getting more of the regulatory burden out of the way, um, you know, getting the FDA out of the way with its its restrictions on getting masks produced because they weren't being tested in a, a timely fashion, getting the CDC regulation, regulations out of the way to allow you know, companies to, to start focusing on, on solving vaccines faster and more and more uh, efficiently. And I would, I would, I guess I would ask you, what would be a different approach? Is there anything that you would say, I guess, beyond that, that would been would have been a better uh, circumstance to begin this conversation of a COVID nineteen pandemic response? Well, I think if you look at the CDC and you look at the FDA and all that, you know, if they the problem is they're, they're so, they got so much control that they don't want to let go of it. Okay, they very easily could have had tests being done and 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 came up with at each individual hospital in each local area, and we could have been testing people right away. But the problem is, hey, we can't do that because we're we're under the regulations of this, and they'll you know they'll pull our permits or pull our licenses because if we, if we do that, they're not doing what's best for the people in the community; they're doing what's best for government, and that's the problem. So I guess uh, since it is obviously it's a best for the government, it seems. Um, then I would pivot towards what you were saying is probably the number one issue and that's on people's minds that's the economy and 
I would dare say leading up to the COVID-19 lockdowns, your average American was feeling pretty good. And and this was actually a statistic that kind of blew me away. 56% of Americans said that they were doing economically better under a Trump administration than they were with in the past. And and for perspective and context, that number is the highest number it's been from any president starting with George H.W. Bush. So that number alone, I think, does speak to that there was this kind of, at the very least, a tacit understanding that while you may not like Trump the person and may, while you, you understand that we're spending money beyond our means, that at the very least, things, by and large, were getting better. It felt, right? And then COVID-19 happened. And you have governments imposing these arbitrary lockdowns across the board. Now, I had Jeffrey Tucker on my show from AIER, and he actually, um, AIER played uh, played home to the uh, discussion and launching off of the Great Barrington Declaration, which is basically a uh, massive response uh, from top leading scientists saying enough with the, the lockdowns. Not only are they not scientific, but actually they're ending up doing more harm than good. We need to approach this in, in a more reasonable way, a more risk-based approach. So, I think right now there's kind of a split. How do we approach this if there's another surge? Do we go back towards the lockdowns that we were from March going through, in some cases, like in California today? Or do we, I guess, follow what the Great Barrington Declaration scientists are promoting? And and where it seems to be, I mean, the WHO just said also lockdowns are are not the the right choice to uh, to you know implement just for a, a, a break a breakout of a, of coronavirus. Um, but is that going to be maybe the best approach to let these localities figure out best how to manage things and let the market decide? I would let the market decide. I would let, let locals do what they what they need to do. Quite obviously, social distancing is good. Um, if you're if you're in a vulnerable group, you obviously you need to stay away from any way that could possibly give it to you. Um, again, the problem with, with all the lockdowns and everything like that is we've seen a massive surge in suicides, mental health problems, depression, and that does a lot lot more harm than good that's going on right now. As well as you, obviously, um, you know, when you have the lockdowns like that, people aren't going to work and they're they're having monetary problems, financial problems, and that just adds to the stress. There's more domestic uh, um, problems because of that as well, and uh, you know we need, we need to get back to work, and we need to do we need to do it as safely as we can. If it means wearing a mask, you should wear a mask. Now you shouldn't be mandated to wear a mask, but you should be you you should be uh, greatly encouraged and be educated why a mask works or doesn't work. I mean, there's people out there that you could tell them a mask they got to wear a mask, and you want to know something? They're free to do what they want to do, but you want you know. All I know is my wife. My wife is a COVID doctor. Okay, uh, she's seen people die right in front of her. Okay, and uh, uh, you know, she's a pretty much a stickler to making making sure because I, you know, I'm someone who uh, I like to eat, so I'm a little overweight. <clears throat> and <laughs> my wife's from Germany, so she makes really good food, and uh, most of it's from scratch. So and then I also have a little asthma too. So and then I, I just, I'm going to be 60 here soon. So I'm kind of I got three things working against me there. So I got to be a little more careful. And then obviously I'm running for office. It's hard for me to get out and about because, you know, everything, pretty much everything got shut down. So we've been doing a lot of things via, via online and doing zoom, zoom stuff. I mean, I sponsored 14 different debates. You know, I actually got one more coming up this Monday. And, uh, but again, the, the, the big, big candidates don't want to be involved because they'd actually have to answer, answer a question other than the 32nd uh, memorized uh, 
what you know answer. oh yeah no it's funny how that happens because um actually so friend of the show uh ricky dale harrington running out in uh in arkansas against tom cotton he joined the show back oh my goodness a few months ago and mm. and ricky he's running unopposed uh and by unopposed i mean tom cotton didn't show up for the debate so R- ricky it looked like he was running unopposed because he had a, a platform during this debate against tom cotton because there is no democratic candidate and he basically yeah. had you know an hour or so to give a stump speech of why the libertarian candidate would be the best option. I think it was great. It was a great, hilarious did kind they, of outcome. Did they have an empty seat for Mr. Cotton? Or I'm like not that? sure if they did, but it would have been great if they did. They, they, they should have. They could have did the Clint Eastwood thing. <laughs> and just have Ricky talk to that empty chair. Because honestly, Correct. that's kind of what I think his, his main point is, is that you have someone like Tom Cotton who they are very removed from your average person. And I think we're starting to see this more and more as the, the COVID-19 pandemic transpires and the lockdowns and this, this top-down central government planning approach to the response is making more and more people question their experts, question the, the, the leaders in government because it's becoming more apparent when you have somebody like Andrew Cuomo who can go out and write a book about how to beat COVID and yet his state to this day still has the most COVID deaths of any other state bar none, your average person sees that and they call it out for the BS that it is. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're, I'm hoping fingers crossed your average person is starting to wake up to that. So I guess I would ask you, Brian, much like like Rick, Ricky is doing over in Arkansas and, and Shane doing as well in Georgia, reaching out to these these voters one on one. How do you think we can best, I guess, empathize with them on a person to person basis? So it's not just this one time vote with the ballot box. But they become longtime libertarians, be it big L, small L, but they at least appreciate and understand the concepts and, and really the value of embracing this limited government, don't hurt people, don't take people's life, lifestyle. Well, we need to be out there all the time. The problem right now is it's like with the politicians, they only come and see you when they want to run for office. And it should be exactly the opposite. I mean, as of November 4th, okay, we should be going to all the different parades, going to the Christmas parades, doing all the different things like that, uh, putting out information on principles and start talking principles and talk about, as you say, do no harm and don't take people's stuff. I mean, if we, if we did that and started putting that out now, I think that would start resonating. The problem is, is, is we have to run through so many hoops in order to get on the ballot because of uh, the, you know, the, the party suppression that's going on out there as well as candidate suppression as well, that it makes it so difficult to be doing other things. But we need to be out there and about uh, pushing the libertarian message all the time. And we, and, and we need to be doing that and show, showing that, hey, we're cleaning up our community. We believe in a good, clean community and we believe in the environment. We believe in clean air and clean water and no pollution. And that we're for limited government. We think you can do do more with your own money, you know. And then we got to start, you know, point fingers and say, now we got it. Now, as as the Libertarian Party, you know, I I run on basically less government, more freedom, and follow the money. With me, it's always follow the money, because then you know who's who's uh, who's pushing this program here or there. So right now, I'd be remiss not to ask you about your resume, because unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who all they look at is the resume. They have to make sure that, you know, oh, this person was the CEO of a company for 15 years or this person was a state senator for 23 years. So so Brian Selinski, what's kind of your resume, your your I guess your experience as you've built up this uh, this career you've had here and now obviously running for uh, U.S. Senate in Georgia? Well, it's I ha- I have a very uh, how you say um, grassroots based career. 
Uh, I started out, you know, in politics when I was nine years old, handing out uh, flyers and stuff for the Democratic Party. I, I, I'm from, I was from Minnesota. I grew up in a, a, a John F. Kennedy, a pro-life, Catholic, Polish uh, family, okay? And a union family. My, my, my dad was a member of a local union for 42 years. I was a union member. My mom was a union member. So I grew up with that. But I was always very fiscally minded, as, as I like to say. Uh, you know, I call myself frugal. My mother calls me cheap because when I walk, I squeak. So I always, I always want to know, you know, you know, how do you pay for stuff? So that's always been my question. And uh, the Democratic Party is notorious for, hey, we need to do this. But I was like, well, how are you going to pay for that? And uh, then obviously, uh, so I worked within the Democratic Party from basically from when I was 19 years old, from 1980 to 1994, ran a couple times, uh, uh, didn't quite make it, but that's because I wasn't a yes person. Okay. Uh, I literally ran when I was 21 years old in 1982. Uh, there were uh, not uh, eight or nine candidates that ran and up there you run under, you have an endorsement from a convention. So we had a convention. I got third place. I, I got beat by a, a district court judge and a nun. But we went we went 26 ballots at four o'clock in the morning, until finally the uh, the judge won. And then the nun said, "Oh well, well, I asked for a unanimous ballot for the judge." And then the next day she files to run in the primary against him. So, you know, I found right there obviously that uh, uh, nuns nuns don't tell no lies, right? <laughs> And she was a pro-choice, and she's pro-choice too. And being a nun, being pro-choice was unbelievable hmm. as well. Interesting. So, so, so where did that lead you for your your career after that? So, obviously, you ran there. Well, then what happened? What happened is in 1994, I, as a as a fiscally conservative pro-life Democrat, uh, there was pretty much a purge of pro-life Democrats in 1994. So, I literally led a third of the convention delegates out of the Minnesota convention. We left. We left the party because we were told we were not welcome. Oh wow. So we walked out, walked out in 94. I voted a straight Republican ticket in 1994. And then uh, uh, I did a little bit with the uh, Reform Party and the Independence Party. I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, you know, the party that elected uh, Jesse Ventura in, in 1990, 1998. So I actually was endorsed. I ran I ran for the state Senate against that nun. <laughs> as <laughs> a Republican, great. as a Republican, as well as I was also cross-endorsed by the Reform Party at that time. But again, I was running a very democratic district. I got forty uh, percent of the vote, which is good com- compared to where I, where I was. Uh, versus the district was probably seventy percent Democrat. So uh, I did pretty well. But uh, quite obviously, uh, you know, it, it comes down to money. It comes down to uh, you know party support. And the Reform Party didn't have no support for me. And the, the Republican Party, because I was running in such a, a democratic district. They didn't want to give me any money, but I actually did better than any of the ones they've targeted money to because I worked hard and I knocked doors. And that's what we need to do with the Libertarian Party, too, is we need to get out there and actually knock doors and talk to people. So from there, um, um, I literally uh, uh, I moved up. I moved to I worked within the party and I went to uh, I moved to Georgia in 2004 and got involved with the party down here. I actually have served on 14 different grassroots positions, whether it be a precinct chair. Um, I was uh, uh, on the county level. I was the count, uh, county chairman of the 10th most populous uh, uh, county here in uh, Georgia. I was uh, a district uh, officer. I was a state committeeman, all that. And I had that when I ran 2014. But again, 
because I was not a yes man, you know, I would, I'm not somebody they can control. I actually look at all, all the, uh, you know, I, I, I have an independent mind and I'm critical. I'm a critical thinker. I look at things and say, well, how's this going to work and how are you going to pay for it? And so it was pretty much a setup deal from the, the get go. One of the, one of the candidates that was running, his dad was a former congressman. So he already had all the Washington lobbyists behind him. And then the, uh, another guy, the congressman who, uh, uh retired, said he wasn't going to endorse anybody, but behind the scenes, he endorsed somebody. So it was pretty much, they, they, they sucked up all the money in the, in the race. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to throw money after something when, when there's so much backing from outside sources, why would I do that? Why would, why would, why would I spend that kind of money? I'm not going to do that. So I guess the, the main question as we, we go towards the end of the show, as you're looking ahead to November 3rd, which is sadly just a few short days away, which I mean, I'm, I'm saying sadly, very tongue in cheek because I'm just tired. I just want this to be over with, but I know it's not going to be over with. Um, but with that being said, I think there is a strong desire for folks right now for that, that, you know, different voice, just not the same left, right, blue team, red team. So I would say, Brian, right now you have a great chance to make that one last pitch to the voters. Why should voters in Georgia consider not only Brian Slowinski, but across the United States, folks like Shane Hazel, Ricky Dale Harrington, why should a libertarian be at the top of their minds when they're going to the ballot box here on the third? Because we're not one-sided. We're not the red side. We're not the blue side. We're actually, we're working for our country. We're so, we're, we, we are not the red side. We're not the blue side. We work for the country, work for America. So we work for red, white, and blue. We work to bring people together. Now, myself, like I said, I, I, you know, I've sponsored all these debates. I've gotten candidates from all, all the different parties and the independents, libertarians and green, all involved. We're talking to one another and actually understanding one another. We're given five, like, for example, um, this coming Monday, we're going to be talking on taxes and spending. Every candidate is given a full five minutes uninterrupted to talk how they want on taxes and spending. After all the candidates are done, then we kind of just have a round robin and everybody, everybody chips in. Like, hey, I agree with such and such, or I disagree with such and such. Talk back and forth. That that brings about a lot of understanding. I'm I I I'm still I still chuckle a little bit. We had uh, uh, one gentleman who's very very Republican, another gentleman who's very Democratic, and they were always at 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 odds with each other all the time. Okay, back and forth, and literally at the last 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 time we had a little discussion, the Republican goes, "I like everything you just said except for the last thing, but other than that, I agree with you." And it's like, wow, we're starting to get some understanding here. And that's the whole thing is we don't have enough listening. I think from my perspective, I've worked within the Democratic Party. I've worked within the Republican Party. So I can listen. I've actually put a lot of them in office, okay? But from my aspect, I left the Republican. I didn't leave the Republican Party. I was pretty much asked to leave because I actually came out in support of President Trump in 2015. I worked as a, region, a, region, a regional director for him in, in Georgia I was also helped set up one of his satellite office, worked uh, a couple of his uh, rallies as well. I was one of the top phone callers for him in Georgia, one of the top three, actually. But when it came came to time for uh, to get involved in the county convention and stuff like that, the local establishment Republicans and rhinos pretty much blackballed me and my son from, from continuing on with any kind of work in the party. Wow. So I guess, okay, now I have to ask you the, the other main question. Are you supporting President Trump again going into 2020? Quite honestly, I'm leaning towards him. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I don't think, uh, 
I would like to vote for Miss Jorgensen, but I just don't think she has. I don't think she has the uh, the monetary uh, or the uh, the message right now to compete. It's I, I honestly, Brian, I don't think you're um you're in a camp that's super um, exclusive. I think there's a lot of folks who they empathize with you um, in that approach. So, I mean, at the very least, I know in our libertarian circles, for sure, I, I hear, you know, the argument, is it Trump or Jorgensen? Which one will be actually, you know, from a strategic voting standpoint, the candidate's going to be able to best support our freedoms as well. And, and I hear that argument. And, you know, my my degree was in political science. I, I studied this stuff, you know, day and night. And, and like, yeah, I get the arguments and I, I definitely empathize. And especially if you're in a battleground state, I can understand that it probably hits you in the gut even harder. But um, I totally empathize and understand and I do appreciate where you're coming from that perspective. So I guess with that being said, Brian Slowinski, where can folks go ahead and follow you on uh, social media or just overall online so they can stay up to date with the campaign and see how things are going? Uh, well, it's uh, at uh, VoteSlowinski.com. It's D-O-T-E and then S-L-O-W-I-N-S-K-I. Three little words, slow in and ski.com. And that brings you right to my uh, my webpage. I'm also on uh, on Twitter at VoteSlowinski. Uh, you can also look at me at Brian Slowinski on Facebook. I always have a Facebook Live where, where we, where we uh, have these debates that we're having, these forums every Monday night at 7 o'clock. If you look in Facebook Live under Brian Slowinski, you'll see that. And we have we have we use the eight by eight software because it's you know remember I said I was uh, uh, frugal. Well, the eight by eight software is free, so <laughs> you don't have to spend any money on it. So that's good. But uh, you know, again, we need people in office that are actually going to going to uh, go back to the Constitution, uh, preserve our freedoms. You know, I'm about more freedom, less government, and follow the money. If you look where the money's coming from, you can pretty much figure out where the legislation's being written. You know, we need to get back to actually the, you know, uh, rules of order in the House and the Senate, where they're actually having 12 spending bills, where they actually go through the committee process, where they allow to amend and vote on individual amendments, as well as on, as well as on the uh, um, on the on the floor of the Senate or the House. Uh, need to do that as well. I mean, if we can, do, if we start doing that, we'll we'll be better because because then we won't have these omnibus bills, these giant garbage bills. I would never vote for something like that. I would do my best to block that, as well as uh, continuing resolutions. I think they're a joke. Quite honestly, if, 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 why should we be raising our credit limit all the time? We need to start paying it back. As far as the coronavirus stuff, yes, we've had a national emergency and stuff like that. But you want to know something? If we need to spend the money, fine, spend it. But you better pay for it out of the current budget is a national emergency then declare it's a national emergency. And that's the reason for this. But quite honestly, if you're not going to declare a national emergency, you still need to pay for it. You got to figure out a way to pay for it, not just, you know, print money. And that's a whole nother, whole nother can of worms. I would end the federal reserve. Okay. Uh, I think we need to get away from this fiat based uh, debt based money. I would work us towards uh, going back to the United States treasury and get us back to a wealth-based system like this country was originally founded on. If we do that, uh, money we put into circulation when it's spent into circulation, not as a debt, but as actually was spent in it, spent into circulation. So the question is, we don't have enough gold and silver to do that. So how could we how could we spend it into circulation? Well, one of the things that everybody would benefit from would be, uh, and it's in the Constitution, in Article One, Section Eight, is uh, building uh, uh, post roads and bridges and stuff like that, infrastructure. We always need to, need to, we need to 
update our roads and our bridges. I would also say, I would also add part of that infrastructure would be the internet superhighway. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's just like with the, um, um, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower when he came to me, when he built the interstate system, same would be with this. We need to build broadband out to the rural areas that would allow all the rural areas to grow and would be paid for with wealth money. So the money's not coming in as a debt. And that would allow this country to flourish. I mean, if, you know, if we're rebuilding our roads and bridges, I would work on, I would work on our dam system. We could have dams on all, all our river systems that would, that would provide a lot of cheap electric, electricity, get us away from use, more use of fossil fuels, more clean energy. Could, that would help everybody. And we could do that. That's infrastructure that we would all benefit from and would better, be better for our country. Brian Slowinski, U.S. Senate candidate out in the great state of Georgia. Make sure you tell my friend Shane Hazel I said hi. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Best of luck as you go to the election on November 3rd. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Again, I'm the not a, not a candidate, none of the above candidates, the two-party system. You know, if you want to vote for the le- lesser, lesser of two evils, then vote for somebody that actually is not evil and someone who is actually a good person and would do his best for his, for, for his country that he loves. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the Expat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on The Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. What an episode to learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever to do your banking there or to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there, or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit. Because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikkel Thorup, originally started as a podcast, but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location independent lifestyles. Mikkel is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikkel a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Brian Slowinski, U.S. Senate candidate down in Georgia, running as a libertarian. If you enjoyed the episode and you are from Georgia, please, it's it's now or never. Share today's episode with family and friends. Tomorrow is Election Day, and make sure that they get the chance to hear about, yes, the third-party alternative to the duopoly in Georgia, Brian Slowinski. All right, now, some uh, some housekeeping. It, did you miss it? Yeah, yesterday we had a special episode. Kenny Cody, Cock County GOP chairman, joined the show to make his pitch. Pro-liberty, vote GOP. I know it kind of goes against what we're talking about here with uh, Brian Slowinski, but, uh, you know, hey, we, we have multiple different perspectives here on the Brian Nichols Show. And actually, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I embrace all those perspectives as means of advancing liberty. Whatever works, honestly, that's what we have to do, whether it be through the GOP, be through the Libertarian Party, or be through the Democratic Party, which, hey, I really haven't seen too many opportunities through the, the Democratic Party, but if we can find some opportunities, I'm all about it. Let me know. And if you're a candidate that's running as a Democrat, or if you end up winning as a Democrat, as you know, you're hearing this today on Monday, the uh, the second. Well, please reach out to me. Tell me what you're gonna do, and and I would love to it uh, at the very least 
help you on those libertarian or just very pro-liberty policies that you're aiming to, to uh, promote and, and actually promote into policy. That's what we're looking to do here. Change people's lives for the better. So make sure you check out the episode from uh, back on Sunday. Coming up here on Wednesday, Peter Quinonez, formerly known as Mance Radar. He is the uh, free man behind the wall. That's right. And uh, he is joining us today to discuss uh, on Wednesday. That is, man, you can tell it is it is uh, daylight savings time. Uh, no, Pete joins the show to discuss the new uh, documentary that he co-produced, The Monopoly on Violence, a fantastic conversation. Also discuss some of the... Um, the uh, lockdowns and uh, discussing the fallout from that, but also kind of how we got here and the mentality of some folks who are blindly following this very, very rigid pro-lockdown approach. You know, how do we have some conversations with some of those folks? So make sure you tune in on Wednesday for Pete Quinonez. So you know the rules. Yeah. What? Follow me on social media at Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com. Tag me in all posts at Liberty. I'll make sure I give you a share, uh, retweet, whatever the hell it is you want me to do, whatever media social media platform it is i'll go ahead and share it uh but also do me a favor send me an email brian at briannicholshow.com and send me an email with said screenshot of your five-star rating and review over on apple podcast that's right do that five-star rating and review and you're entered into our evils giveaway here for the brian at nichols show great products there the evils uh it, i gotta tell you the uh, the evils um topical gel it has been amazing on my my back lately uh, i've been uh, going to a chiropractor which has been helping a lot but the evils it just it honestly it is the icing on the cake it really makes it so i can actually function lift weights and stuff and not be in excruciating pain believe it or not that is a a, a good thing uh, <laughs> no pain no pain no gain well not when it's a herniated disc but anyways with that being said make sure you go ahead five star rating interview over on apple podcasts and uh, otherwise guys that's all i got for you today so that being said make sure you're signing up for our episode coming up here on wednesday but with that's brian nichols signing off you're on the brian nichols show for brian slowinski we'll see you wednesday Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.